Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I am president and professor of Old Testament here, and I'm joined by my colleagues to my left, Dr. Grace Utanto, professor of systematic theology and author of the newly released intro to Neo-Calvinism, published by Lex and Press. Go pick that up, everyone. I'm also joined by Dr. Peter Lee, professor of Old Testament and author of Joy Unspeakable, in which he talks about how we encounter and are ministered to by Christ in our suffering. So go pick that up, everyone. I'm also joined by Dr. Paul Jean, senior pastor at New City PCA and professor of New Testament here at RTS and uh, author of the newly released uh, commentary, Reflection on the Book of Galatians. So you can get that down at your local bookstore or wherever fine commentaries are provided. In other words, Amazon, it's going to be released. You'll be able to pick it up in how many weeks or months? No, maybe like six to 12 months. Really? It just <laughs> went? Okay. In the meantime, go ahead. It, 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 that's, that's coming out soon. In the meantime, you can pick up uh, one of his most popular releases on Amazon, uh, which is his introduction to the book of Romans. And we are also joined by Dr. Tommy Keene, professor of New Testament and academic dean. And you can find much of his published work at signandshadow.com. So go check that out if you have not already. It's free. You can go enjoy it. Uh, excellent commentary on a discussion of hermeneutics and preaching and other work. And sorry, gents, to embarrass you, but I think we do need to talk about the work that you're doing beyond this podcast. So I'm going to try to do that as much as possible in the future. Are you going to mention your work? Your work. My work. The work of oh, uh, oh. The, the Wholeness Imperative here by Dr. Yeah, Scott Wright. That's right. Wholeness Definitely Imperative. And uh, if you want to read about constituent postponement and biblical Hebrew verse, you can get that from Horosovitz Press <laughs> if you're interested. Um, so what we're, what we're doing today, we're not talking about our work today. We're talking about your work when you are in seminary, should you work? And so we're not talking about, we, we, we had a discussion about this early on before we started recording. We're not talking about how we are doing seminary work. We're talking about how to survive seminary, particularly should you get a job? And if you get a job, what kind of job should you be looking for while you're at seminary? We've got students at RTS who have jobs, students who don't have jobs. And uh, there's a variety of factors. Of course, it's complicated. Uh, so there's a variety of factors that go into that. But I just want to put it out there first. What about working? What about getting a job while you're preparing for whatever it is God has called you to by attending seminary? I think maybe we should start out with the obvious. And perhaps during seminary, you could get a job which allows you to study at the same time. No. So that might be a job um, working in the library. Then going to be a job working at the reception desk for the seminary. That could be a job where I knew a lot of people when I was in seminary at Westminster. They were taking night guarding jobs. So yeah. they were just uh, yeah. posted in maybe somebody's private estate or some other place. And they were just working there overnight. And they needed to stay awake. And they were drinking a lot of coffee. And so they were reading. They were reading a lot of their theology books during that time. Yeah. 
Now, maybe if you're a little bit older, that will be a bit more difficult. But if you're young and sprightly and 22, go for it. If you're feeling 22. So the that's funny. You just laid out basically my resume for the first seven years of schooling, which is I worked in the library at RTS Orlando. I worked there we in, go. I worked in the admissions department, too, so I could be on campus. And then when doing my Ph.D., I was not a night watchman, but... I worked at a concierge desk at a kind of high-end apartment complex mm. where I called people cabs and took out the trash. But I would also, and, they, and everyone who lived there thought it was very interesting because they'd walk in and I'd be reading like an Acadian commentary or, or an Acadian grammar. And that uh, was, I was a point of curiosity for them. But you could just do it right through the night. My wife and kids were at home sleeping, so I wasn't taking away from them. And it was a great way to get work done and to get some get some moolah while studying. Maybe another obvious thing to say is also look for opportunities at your church. Um, Maybe if you're in a Presbyterian setting, um, which I hope most of you are. um, (laughs) That that was a joke. We love everyone here at RTS. We're a big tent. Um, uh, Then you might be be considering. Thomas um, marking off. Okay, edit that out. Edit that out, (laughs) yep. Edit all baby baptizing comments out. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, keep going. It's, it's, no, well said. Well said. Um, if you're in a Presbyterian setting, you know, you might want, want to take a look at being under care, um, you know, sitting in your presbytery, and also maybe ways in which while being under care, you might be hired in a part-time sort of position, maybe teaching youth ministry. I remember during college I was um, preaching almost every week for an English ministry at an Indonesian Baptist church back when I was a Baptist. Hmm. Um, but then I repented of my ways. No, Tommy's pin is fast at work. That one, that one was purely it takes uh, time. <laughs> purely um, purposive for you, Tommy. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> he publishes a book and then he's just firing yeah. both barrels of blazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, okay. So, well, you you raised that's an interesting point. Okay, so. Why are you getting a job? You might be doing it to get money unless you're independently, independently wealthy, which happens. You mm-hmm. get students who come in for money, re- you know, family reasons or whatever they've, they've got. Maybe they've been saving up while they've been working. They've got money so that they don't need to work. They can focus on seminary. Maybe they've gotten you know scholarship for their tuition and they've got enough to basically, you know, particularly for you know, single folks, you know, you can live in a house with 20 other people and share food and get by on the free mm-hmm. food that's offered at, you know, uh, it's, it's little seminars that are offered around the campus and that kind of thing, you know, really get by as cheap as possible. But for most people, you do want to have some kind of money flow, particularly if you're married and have kids so that's one reason why you might get a job then you just brought up the church one that's a whole other reason you know this is i've heard people refer to seminary as a you know as basically a um uh you know a learning hospital right a university hospital type situation where you're learning things you're learning theology you're learning skills but you've got to be practicing those skills pretty quickly Mm -hmm. after you're learning them right and so being in the church where you can exercise these skills is really important. I think, I think that's true. I, I like that distinction. Okay, there's, there's this aspect of working during seminary where I just need to pay the bills. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's for the money. And then there's this aspect of I, I also can get training. And to take the first one there, I, I do think it's worth saying that it's okay to be pragmatic. Right. That 
we, you know, especially if you're going to seminary, you're thinking about doing the spiritual thing and following God's call and all of this kind of stuff, which is, those are good things, but there's also just balancing a, you know, a budget. And that does, that is a spiritual endeavor. That does take time and effort and conversations with family and making sure that the job that you are taking um, pays enough for you to both uh, support your family and do the work. And those are all just pragmatic kinds of concerns. And those are good things to think about. Those aren't, don't over-spiritualize this. And sadly, a lot of church jobs just don't pay as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe you have to look at your balanced budget and decide to work at UPS or for a uh, a guard, you know, as a guard or something like that, just just yeah. to keep the flow, and that's okay. No, yeah. I used to have a job at RTS Orlando, the admissions department, where I'd help people get those jobs. You mentioned UPS, and I know that that's strategic. Starbucks was similar at the time, so it was FedEx, and that they gave health care to part-time employees. Mm-hmm. So that was a key. That was a key little insight. Find those jobs that also will give. You, you may not be able to have a full-time job, but if you can get health care with part-time, yeah. that's that's great. Um, my two cents on this is, number one, I think in general it's good for people to work. Um, it has a way, I think, of maturing them. And I think that kind of maturity is like helpful for ministry. And I don't want to overstate things, and there's no biblical basis for this. This is just anecdotal and my own experience. But I think in general I've noticed some difference um, with people in the industry that have actually worked significantly. Like, um, and that's very helpful. And so um, that's just one thing. I think in general, uh, it's good to work if possible for whatever reasons, just the experience alone. Uh, as far as like working at a church, um, this isn't like a good thing, but in one sense, you can benefit from something that's not a good thing. So in uh, some churches, when you become like a youth director, you get to uh, preach every week, basically, right? And in my experience, like, Preaching every week for three years in front of high school students was so formative because um, they they don't pretend to like your message. Um, they're very direct, whether you're doing well or not. And so I think that just um, putting in your reps in that sense is, um, is a good experience. And so uh, I would recommend uh, working at church churches as early as possible just for the experience uh, like whether or not it pays really well and in, mo- in most cases it doesn't well what, what did you notice about those who worked for a long time well some things are like for instance uh <laughs> that's a really good question I'm, I'm not sure I should say them on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a thought on this. <laughs> well, I actually have noticed, um, y- you know, those who are uh, working, what you know, regardless of what that is, and have fairly limited times to study, you see, they know this, and because they know this, they tend to be a little more focused at during that those study times because they know it's so limited, and so. Um, in, in many ways, by balancing a work life and study life, you're actually more focused during your study time because you know you don't have yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. And it's disciplined uh, some of our guys to really maximize and and redeem, I guess, to, put it up, to redeem the study time to its fullest. It's okay. We can say that. 
Well, I mean, it, it is it is a biblical phrase. It's hard right? for I mean, the two kingdoms person to use redeem in any way other than those are fighting words. Forgiving you for your sins. <laughs> and from what I've read thus far in a certain intro on neo Calvinism, two kingdom is a certain expression of oh, certain well, neo Calvinistic okay. thinkings oh, as well. Guys, I, I don't just, understand what here it comes. Are, I just want to warn y'all. We're at we're at the limit of. You're at your quota of edits. <laughs> Everything now go from now on goes in. What's the argument? Why okay. are we fighting over? Well, can I on, on to your point? I think you're absolutely right. I notice even for our students who are working a lot, and some of them are. Some of them they've got a bunch of kids. Um, they've got a family. Living in Washington D.C. is very expensive, and so you may have to work a little bit more than you would yeah. in another place where cost of living is not as high. Um, they want to be here. And they want to be in this context, and so they have to work for it. They'll come into class. I'll even notice there's a, for some of them, there's a fatigue, right, as they come into class. But then as you start to talk to them, you realize they say, no, this this is my rest, though. Like getting to study, getting to be in class, like this is what I've been working for. And I've heard professors leave here and say, man, there's just something about D.C., the caliber of your students, the caliber of the discourse in the classroom. Um, I think a lot of that, it's for a variety of different reasons, but I think one of them is people are working here. Like, you've got to choose to be here. Yeah. And the students who are here are loving the fact that they're in class. They know they know that it's what they've been waiting for all day and all week is to get into class and to get you know, get through their studies. You know, they, Like you said, it's a much more engaged um, there's way a, of doing yeah, study. There's a sense in which, you know, uh, especially those who are really – have a conviction to pursue ministry, a, a call to ministry, where what they are doing in terms of their regular work from day to day is good and productive and contributive, but their heart is somewhere else. So it's like balancing those two aspects of who they are, and they need to be able to do both. To, mm-hmm. to, to be in balance one or the other in many ways might not be the healthiest thing. And so by doing it's it's sort of you know it's sort of like a a, a scholar pastor type thing you yeah. know a pastor who does uh, pastoral work in a more shepherding context is great but if he is an academic as well he needs to be able to balance those two aspects of who he is to to remain vibrant to be productive and yeah that's yeah. something that I've noticed about st- students that go through seminary working or either for a church or, or UPS mm-hmm. or real estate, whatever it is, you know, Paul, you mentioned you noticed a difference. I think one of the things, the differences I notice is that they're better able to balance. E- even if even if they're going straight into ministry afterwards and they drop everything and just do pastoral ministry, they're better able to balance that, those kind of administrative leadership tasks that are a component of pastoral ministry. Um, Whereas, you know, if all you do is study and that's all you've been trained to do, right. learning those administrative skills and juggling the multiple kind of competing um, responsibilities is, is, is more of a challenge. Now, um, as you guys know, I, I oversee the field internship component mm-hmm. of, the, of the MDiv specifically. So, you know, I've had to deal with a lot of students on this area of work. Well, ministerial work, not... Uh, secular work uh, um, and uh, so I have thought through some of these things now first when it comes to work I think we have to remember that the majority of our students are already working 
you know, they're working full-time jobs or coming to us in the evening. So to encourage them to work is not something we need to do. It's, it's trying to help them manage right. how to do that, to, that dual aspect. Um, and to work for money, as we were talking about earlier, there's no shame in that. I don't get the mm. problem with that. I mean, you've got to provide. Even um, during our cap- or my PhD days, I went part-time because I had to work to provide something. Yeah. So um, now when it comes to ministry, though. And you were part-time as a pastor. And part-time, yes. Yeah. You know, a lot of part-time And RTS, stuff, uh, yeah, DCT. You know, there was a, 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 a you know, you're doing, doing a lot, lot of different you're things, doing a lot of but stuff. not really focusing on yeah. it. And so, the um, when it comes to ministry uh, as work and experience, I'm I'm down with everything you guys are saying with what uh, um, and resonating with a lot of what even what Paul was saying about uh, some regular exp- uh, m- ministry of the word on a regular basis. If you if you're preaching or teaching. Mm. You know that's so invaluable. It, part of our field internship program actually requires that you, that students are doing this. So in many ways, you kind of don't have a choice. You want to find some place where you're doing something, getting oversight, and using or or an opportunity where you are teaching or or discipling the things that you are learning in classes in some type of a ministry context where you're not just learning, you're teaching this and and using these things in that. Uh, in in that ministry uh, context, the other thing, and this is somewhat related to uh, some critiques, I, we may have talked about this in some other context in some other episode, um, but the critique that seminaries receive about not adequately preparing seminary students for pastoral work, uh, I, I find um, it's always a little uh, frustrating when I hear that because our job primarily is more to teach Bible, theology, interpretation, languages, history interpretation, uh, uh, philosophy, everything related to the ministry of the Word. That's our strength. Now, we do have a practical theology element, and, and students read about the theology of practical theology, which is good, but you don't learn to be a preacher by reading a book on it. You yeah, don't learn to be yeah. a pastor by attending classes on it. You, you learn that in the field, in the context of ministry, where you know, you're actually hanging out with a, a real pastor mm-hmm. and, and watching and listening and observing what he is saying or not saying and how he's engaging uh, uh, that. And, and so although you learn some of that in the class, you know, um, the bulk of that is really done in the context of the field internship, the, the 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 programming there, and so in that sense, it you really need we really need to have a healthier or a healthy balance in terms of the relationship of the seminary with the local churches, and to encourage students to l- realize that the work you do in the church is just as invaluable as what you are learning in the classroom to fully develop future leaders in ministry in the next generation or so. Cool. That's super important, I, and obviously, ideally. If you can get a job at a church doing that kind of service and get paid for it, that's ideal because you're both getting the training and earning the income you need for your for your family. So th- those are those are wonderful opportunities if you can if you can find them. It does. I mean, I feel like I need to signal here that does require churches to be committed to that. Yeah, you know, D- DC is a great area in that regard because you do have a ton of churches here of all different denominational stripes, not just Presbyterian. 
we have Baptists and non-denoms mm. and all and Anglicans and all those wonderful, wonderful denominations. And they all go to RTS. We, and they all go to RTS because we're a big tent. But uh, it does require that there's a commitment from the church to provide opportunities, either pay, preferably paid, but some sort of opportunities for the students to to minister. And it's a, you know, I, I recognize that's a hard sell because especially if you're bringing in seminary students that are at the beginning of their, their time, you know, their preaching is going to be rough. It's not going to be great. And, and it's going to take time for those skills to develop. And it can feel like you're putting, you know, you're practicing on your congregation and subjecting your congregation to that. And that can be a challenge and it can be hard. Our church in Philly uh, struggled with that from time to time and and feeling like they were practiced on, but it's such a valuable commitment. And it, it is the way in which, one of the primary ways in which a church in near a seminary can be useful to the seminary. Mm. Yeah, we're blessed in that in this area we have a bunch of churches that are doing that yeah, really well. Yeah, and if you go to a small town that has a big seminary, you're going to join a church and you're going to want to be a pastoral intern, and there will be 12 pastoral interns at this 200-person church. You know, um, One of the things that's great about D.C. is that we're a big town with a lot of churches, and we're a mid-sized seminary, about 250 students. So you can still find churches where they don't have, they haven't filled the pastoral intern spot, or maybe there's only one, and it's a large church. And I would, yeah, I would encourage churches in the same way that you're saying, you know, uh, as you notice, particularly if you have a seminary nearby, as you notice people coming up through your congregation, elders, teachers, community group leaders who, who have a special pension and even desire for this thing, even if they're not going to be a full-time pastor, Going to the local seminary that's that's in your tradition, you know, or adjacent, and saying, "Hey, can we set something up where the pastor or the session can identify teachers and mature Christians in their ministry who would benefit from seminary?" You'll find. I mean, I know this is true with Washington D.C. Um, we love giving scholarships to those kind of students mm-hmm. because we know that the pastor and the church is behind them. You know, and in terms of you know the chances of them finishing and getting their work done is really high when you've got a church behind you encouraging them. So when we know that the community is invested, we want to make that easier for for the student to take the classes. So having an internship, you can bring in people who who aren't ordained and yet can do work. And while they're doing work, they're in seminary. Or the other way you do this, if you're in a congregation that doesn't require an MDiv for ordination, you know. You can you can encourage your pastor, your associate pastor, and others to to go ahead and, and and get involved in the local seminary. Maybe even start working through a degree so they can dig that well a little deeper that they're drawing from every Sunday. Seminaries love to give scholarships to those kind of people because you know they're already doing the work, right? It's not it's, it's not a bet. It's not a gamble. You know they're already out there doing it, and that's that's where you know scholarship money can flow so yeah as, as churches i'd say think about it and think and think strategically about it so you're not just getting these folks and sticking them in the nursery or something you know but you're actually helping them think through and participate in the different aspects of of church work actually to go back to my you know teaching hospital um analogy uh you may go to your gen- general practitioner right and and you'll be going there just to get your checkup and 
you may or may not care, you know, what he thinks about your feet because he's not a podiatrist. He's a general practitioner. However, you do, if you think about it, you're glad that he did a little residency, right, on podiatry. <laughs> that he knows a little bit about feet, right? You know, and that's one of the things I'd say when you're setting up these internships, stick them in the nursery for a season, stick them in the youth ministry for all the reasons Paul said. I think it's exactly right. That's the best place to learn how to preach and teach, I think, is in youth ministry. Um, stick them with the, you know, uh, the, the ambassadors of the young at heart, you know, group, right. you know, which is the elderly, have them do visitations, have them do hospital visits, have them preach, have them teach, have them lead in prayer, have them be involved in worship and thinking through worship, even if they don't have musical giftings, you know, so that they can feel everything. They might be a senior pastor where they're not actually doing some of these things, but you want them to know what every level of, of church ministry looks like. It is interesting. The, uh, in my area up in Maryland, uh, because we're so close to Baltimore with so many teaching hospitals, I've had yeah. this conversation with uh, 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 health professionals a lot. They, the model of, of the classroom and the residency programs there yeah. is analogous to yeah. exactly what we're talking about. So that, I think that's a really great uh, analogy. And, 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 and I also would encourage, with what we were saying, local pastors to consider internship programs paid if they can. And, and I would say that really is a great investment for the future because yeah. investing in a seminary student is in many ways investing into the church that that person may potentially pastor. I mean, that's the way I see our guys. It's not yeah. a class of 20 students. I see a class of 20 potential pastors or, or churches or campus ministries mm -hmm. or missionaries out to wherever. Um, and, and by investing into them, we're investing into the next generation of, uh, of ministers. I guess I also want to put the burden also a little bit on, on, our, on our students, on our guys, to find places. You know, if you're at a church already locally, then go and talk to your pastor and say, "Hey, look, I I, I want to do stuff and learn, and can you know can you can you help me?" Uh, our students, I think, have to remember by being, especially those who are thinking much more vocational ministry of the future. As soon as you make that that um, commitment and you're thinking and sensing that call, in many ways, your your time is on a clock. You know, when you graduate, you can't stay at your home church now. You're going to have to move on. Mm -hmm. So to start thinking and planning of what seminary or what life will look like after seminary is is not an immediate thing. I mean, if you're just getting started, you can enjoy the classes for the for the duration or so. But at least a year before you graduate, you need to start thinking. You know what is life going to look like when I when I graduate? You know, uh, you know what? Where am I going to serve and use all this stuff? Uh, and really discern now what uh, what future work is going to look like in a very concrete level. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, investing in the future. If you're worried about cultural decline. What better way to invest in the future but than investing in future pastors? Amen. I'll, th I'll throw a development side in this too. If you're at a church. And you're not supporting the seminary where your pastors went, right? Then I'd say you ought to think about that. Think about how am I, how are we supporting the places that are training our pastors? Because um, the largest seminaries right now are not necessarily denominational seminaries, not receiving denominational funding. So how do I how do we come alongside it and invest in the future pastors, the ones who are going to be pastors for my grandkids and my great grandkids and 
you know, if you're worried about that, then this is a great way to, uh, to help the future right now. Well, let's switch the conversation a little bit then to balancing time. So you've, you, you've got a job that's bringing in just enough. You can eat more than just rice and beans for dinner because of this lucrative job you have at a UPS in the packaging room. Um, okay, you've got the job. You've got the internship. How do you balance time? What does a work-life balance look like? Well, one, one easy low-hanging fruit here if you've got the ministry job, if you've got the internship at a church, is use the material that you develop in seminary and pour it back into the church and vice versa. You know, so it's, it's about synergy, mm. you know, so mm. that, that, so that the, your, mm. your paper is, don't preach your paper, okay? Don't yeah. preach your paper. But your paper is your scratch work. It is the, it is the background. It is the anchor. Yeah. For a seminar, uh, for a sermon, for a Sunday school class, for um, you know, for uh, t- time in the even time in the hospital. You know, you're again, you're not going into the hospital and preaching your paper, but you're writing papers on suffering. You're writing papers on comfort. You're writing papers and doing uh, and thinking about and studying texts that have to deal with the you know all of these kinds of things. So pour that back into the life of the church in a manner appropriate for the context. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. There's some wisdom here to know, you know, if you're working full time, then that sort of is what is going to set your your week and, you know, what classes you take. Because you're, you're only going to be able to study part time. Um, you know, uh, I would say and I would encourage students at that point to kind of know your limits. Mm-hmm. You know, what what can you are? Can you handle two uh, classes? Can you handle three? Uh, there's, I think we talked about strategy of what kind of classes to kind of uh, take that may um, balance out your study experience in, in, a, in a productive way. Um, you know, uh, maybe maximize an evening so that you have free evenings that you can relax, study, uh, spend time with your family, and, and you're not, in other words, if you're taking two classes and it's on two separate evenings, that may have more it may be harder to balance the overall your overall life as opposed to taking two classes on one evening and it just frees up an evening that one free mm-hmm. evening may make uh, a significant difference in terms of um, uh, relationships with family uh, even availability with the church mm-hmm. uh, so you know n- know your limits know what what you can handle know what you cannot handle and yeah it's a good strategy An- another just basic strategy is talk to your professors about the workload about how best to pursue it about you know the 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 sermon or the Sunday school that you want to do and whether it would be appropriate to write a paper you know all of those kinds of conversations and then uh you know I need help um I'm not able to complete the work and how how can I strategize for that all of those are great conversations to have with your professors that they want you to succeed. We're all here rooting for you. Yeah. And we also especially want you not to just succeed in seminary, but to succeed in being fruitful in the church. And if there's a way that we can make yeah. a path for that, we will. So don't hesitate to go and talk and send an email and that kind of thing. Text your text Gray late at night. He loves that. So yeah. it just it, it's drop, all drop it's by all his house. Yeah. You know? Just knock on the door. 
it's really open door policy over there. I have heard Gray say that to students actually. Hey, just come by at 10 p.m. That's totally fine. I think I've heard Paul say the same. Yeah, and the other one is not just talk to your talk to your profs because they need to know and they can help you out. Mm-hmm. And also talk to your fellow students because I often found out, you know, listen, I'm not going to be able to take this class with this prof this semester because I know this is a busy work work semester. So I, I've gotten a sense of which classes have more work, which classes are more intensive, you know, and fellow students can help you think strategically. And I was definitely doing that in seminary. I was planning out, I'm going to take three of these classes and one of these classes because I know what this this yeah. what the next six months are going to look like for me. So I can start working on it now. That's another thing. Start working early on your classes. I mean, if you're going to learn Greek and Hebrew, uh, you don't have to wait till the first class to start learning Greek and Hebrew. You know, you can get through the alphabet, at least start memorizing things, doing doing vocab and those other things that can that can give you some more time. I know we've talked about this in a previous podcast. But particularly if you know that your job is going to be requiring a lot from you in November, maybe don't wait till November to write your papers, right, or to do your exam, to study for the exams. So that's a big part of it, I think, is, like you said, hitting two birds with one stone and thinking strategically, talking to students, talking to faculty members. I generally encourage, uh, and, and maybe this is more me, and I don't mean to uh, presume that I uh, am like others, but if you are... <laughs> Uh, I, I tend to work large, uh, better in large chunks of time. In other words, if I have uh, three free evenings um, and you want to study uh, or do something seminary-related in those free evenings where you're not in class, I, I don't think what I would encourage is to try to divide the evening between two different subject matters of study. Mm-hmm. Just, just focus on one class one evening, focus on another class the other evening, and, and that's it. You know, um, and that way you can really spend like two hours just really focusing on on um, Isaiah the Malachi, and then another evening two hours just on you know history of philosophy. But if you spend one hour uh, in one evening, one hour for one class, and then the second hour that same evening for another class, I, I, you know it, they tend to kind of, at least for me, they tend to kind of counter each other, and it's not overall a productive right. use of time. So. Uh, so I think uh, I tend to think of quadrants. You know, one evening is for one subject matter, another evening is for another subject matter. I still do that to this day in terms of reading and and writing projects and things like that. And so, um, so again, it's it's kind of knowing your own kind of sensibilities, knowing your own temperament, and and knowing what works for you. If you're the type of person who can really read thing one thing for one hour, and and that's a great use of that hour, and you want to do two different classes at the same time, go for it. Yeah. yeah. This is going to sound, I don't want this to sound um, snarky or defeatist, but another helpful principle is to remember that a B is a good grade. I mean, yeah, yeah. Is, there's only so much time that you can devote to certain kinds of things. And if, th- again, thinking pragmatically, which is a spiritual discipline, can can be really helpful here to remind yourself Okay, I didn't I didn't get that reading done that I wanted to get done and I won't be able to finish it by the time class is over. I want to read it. I can read it later, but I'm going to put it down for now because I need to spend time with my family or I need to spend time doing work and I'm just going to take the beat. You know, that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. And remind yourself that you're learning other things, you know, from yeah. you know, and and that those 
that time that you spend making uh, the budget work and the time that you spend with your family, all of those things are fruitful works as well. Yeah. And this is a season. I th- it helped my wife and I when we were going through this, being reminded that this is a season. We're not going to be like this the rest of our lives, barely making it by <laughs> financially, spending a bunch of time and energy on things you're not getting remuneration for. It's just for your preparation. And it is true. It, it does come to an end. And there are going to be parts of it that you actually mm-hmm. maybe you look back on and, and say, man, I wish it was yeah. like that again. But this is a season. Don't don't just think of it as, you know, particularly if you're, this is the hard part, I think. I'm, I guess I'm speaking specifically to newlyweds. If you're newly married, maybe been married for a year or two before going to seminary, you, this is what the whole of your marriage seems to look like. And reminding yourselves this isn't the way it's going to always be. You know, and that also strengthens you because it is hard. I mean, the things we're talking about are hard. I'm not saying it's not enjoyable. Um, for my wife and I, actually, we were married right before going to seminary. In those first four years of being in a seminary context, um, working, trying to get by, and we did it in four years. We spaced it out, and I was under you know, following good advice of friends so that we could have jobs and not be financially strapped that early in our marriage. Um, they were wonderful. It wasn't easy. It was super hard. I remember I drove a, a Zuzu Trooper for a while that had a hole in the floor, and you could see through to the road below as you were driving down the road. You couldn't take it on the highway. I mean, it was that. It was terrible, and it's because we didn't have a lot of money. And yet, those were also great years, yeah. and we we look back on that really in a fond way. Made some of the closest friends of our lives back then, um, and had great experiences. So. It's a season and it's hard and we, everyone knows that everyone knows it's tough. Don't think that's out of the ordinary. And yet also remember, it's not going to be this way forever. Well, thank you for this conversation. I love hearing your experiences and and, and getting to chat about some of these topics. I hope this has been a benefit to you. Um, Listeners, I, I have run into more listeners over the last two weeks in various disparate places who have specifically mentioned this series on surviving seminary to me. And I've even gotten emails from people who go to different seminaries who are listening to it and benefiting from it. So we're thrilled. That's the point of this. Um, we started this how many years ago? Uh, at least 150 episodes ago. We're, yeah, we're at 152. So that's getting three it's years. Actually three years yeah. ago, almost exactly. So we started this to connect with our students during pandemic. It's had much broader reach. And for that, we give thanks. Um, but we hope this has been a benefit to you. Again, if you have any questions, we'd love to interact with them. Uh, I've got a few in the hopper that we'll bring up in, in future episodes, but we'd love to interact with your questions. Feel free to go to the link in the show, no- show notes here. If you'd like to know more about RTS Washington or RTS in general, go to rts.edu for Washington. Go to rts.edu forward slash Washington. We'd love to start a conversation with you about taking classes here at RTS as an auditor or for credit. But it's been great being with you all this week. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, take care.